Anyway, it is so good to be here together today with you. I have been looking forward so much to opening up God's Word with you. So open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, please. Acts chapter 1. So I've been gone on a six-week sabbatical. If you're brand new to Grace over these last six weeks, I look forward to meeting you. But I've been looking forward to this privilege of opening up God's Word with you once again. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm not here to build my reputation. I am here to faithfully and lovingly and humbly and hopefully accurately and engagingly preach the word of God and tell you the truth. I want you to see something today. I want you to see that Jesus wants to work in and through you for his purposes. That's what I want you to see today as we look at Acts 1, 1 through 11. I want to ask you to stand with me, please. We're going to first hear the word of God. Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, Two men stood before them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is true. Thank you, Lord, that it is authoritative. Thank you, Lord, that you gave it to us and you have preserved it. And Lord, you are so good. Lord, I ask that you would please do your work in our hearts by your spirit, through your word, for your glory. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Before I preach, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to you and to our leadership and to our staff to our elders for the foresight that they had 10 years ago to put a sabbatical policy in place for me. I want to thank you for your generosity in allowing me to be gone over these six weeks on pastoral sabbatical. And I'll tell you what a gift it is to unplug. I'm sure some of you are saying, well, I want one of those. (laughs) But what a gift to unplug and do the things that I do all the time, but without a lot of the time constraints that are already maybe in the schedule. And to get into the Word of God, to pray, to, to think, to study, to write, to have a lot of family time, and 
I am grateful to God, very much so, and grateful to you for the opportunity. I come back even more convinced that there is power in the Word of God. Come back even more convinced that the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in the lives of the people of God for the glory of God. That God uses His Word to change us. The constant dwelling on God's Word marks our souls and, and literally changes us from the inside out. I come back more convinced than ever that we ought to be a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. And we want to do those things in Christ's strength. Not in our own strength, but in Christ's strength and for his glory. Not for our renown, but for his glory. In case you're wondering, no, we are not starting the book of Acts all over again. Sometimes it's just good to press reset, you know? Uh, reload, recharge, regroup, review, refresh, and, and then re-engage. And that's kind of how I view this last six weeks of being gone. It was a wonderful time of introspection. It was a wonderful time to contemplate the greatness and the goodness of God and, and just to be, do, do all the things Christians do and trust God to do whatever he wanted in me and, and just be a believer in Jesus with, without, without all the things that we prop ourselves up with a lot. And even when things are good, it's good to take a step back. It's good to, to take stock of where you are and let God recalibrate your heart. There's always room for growth. Your heart might not need a complete overhaul, but a tune-up is always good. Fine-tuning is always good. So I got the privilege, really, and the opportunity to hit reset and to refocus my life and my schedule and, and, again, just be a believer in Jesus and to get away and then, by God's grace, come back refreshed. I thought I was refreshed when I left. What I want to do today, instead of jumping right back into the book of Acts where we would left off, I preached all 16 chapters at the beginning of the book. We've done 42 sermons. Instead of jumping right into chapter 17, what I want to do is pause and refresh in our minds where we've been to review, to see what God has done, and then to look ahead to what is to come and to share some things that I've learned over the past 42 days. Today, I'm calling it Acts Reloaded. The best is yet to come. And we're going to focus on the first 11 verses in Acts chapter 1. And I want to call your attention to the main idea of the whole book. It's on the screens behind me. It's on your bulletin front. It's, it's the continuing story of Christ's work through his witnesses for his sovereign purposes. The awesome part for us is that it didn't stop in the first century. It didn't stop in the first 30 years of transitional history that's recorded in the book of Acts. It continues on, and Jesus wants to use you. If you're a believer, he wants to use you for his purposes. That's a pretty amazing thing for us. He continues his work today to this day, and it will continue until he comes again. And what I hope you will see quite clearly is that Jesus wants to work in and through you for his purposes. Because Jesus is alive, he is well, he is reigning, and he is returning. And no one knows the day or the hour but the Father, but he is at work in you as a believer right now for his purposes. Right now, he's at work in you. 
But do you ever wonder if that's true? Do you ever wonder if, if your life is amounting to much? Do you wonder if you're on track? Do you wonder if you're in sync with where God is wanting you to be? And are you living what you say you believe? Or do you feel aimless? Do you feel a bit tossed to and fro and maybe just spinning your wheels or stagnated? It's very common to feel like that. People without Jesus uh, can't give themselves the answer. The answer is, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of faith. The people without Jesus can't give each other that answer. In fact, just the other day I was looking at a a question that was online, and here's the question. How do I overcome the feeling of being lost and aimless and confused and alone? And I read the answers. There were a lot of answers. People were writing long paragraph answers, and I was, I was searching for something. I was searching for someone to say, you are a sinner separated from God, you have been trying to do it on your own. There is no hope apart from Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. That's what I was looking for. And there was nothing of the sort. The whole string of answers just went on and on and on. And just giving each other broken crutches. Or at worst, poison. A lot of believers feel aimless. It's common. Because your eyes are off Jesus. The wind and waves of doubt and fear and unbelief have diverted your focus away from Jesus and the world and the flesh and the devil has blinded you. Think about this thought. No matter what is going on outside of you, there's a lot going on outside of your own heart, right? Family and friends and work and school and relationships and health and politics and worldwide upheaval. I'm calling this the summer of terror. But you think about all those things, no matter what is going on outside of your heart, life is primarily internal. Internal. It's a battle for your mind. I, I, I had the privilege this week of listening to every sermon that was preached here while I was gone. I'm so thankful. Uh, for uh, the people we have at Grace Church of Orange. I am so thankful for the preachers, the, the humble and bold preachers we have here at Grace. And I'm I was struck once again that the word of God never changes, but God uses different personalities, different ways of presenting things. And, you know, we say, be yourself, trust God, and, and preach the word. And, and it, was, it was joyful for me to, to listen to these sermons. And Tom Licata, he preached about Romans 12 and the battle for your mind. And, and, and that's really... What's going on? If you're, if, if you're feeling like you're, you're, you're aimless, there's a battle going on for your mind, and it's the battle to either be conformed to the world or be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, and I think it's why God built in a weekly Sabbath. You know, Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life, the issues of life. Our outline today is simple. The passage reflects it, as does the whole book of Acts. First, we're going to see Christ's work, verses 1 through 5. Second, we're going to see Christ's witnesses, verses 6 through 8. And then third, Christ's purposes, verses 9 through 11. So let's dive in. First, Christ's work, verses 1 through 5. We'll begin at verse 1. 
It starts like this in the first book. Luke is talking about the Gospel of Luke because Acts is volume two of a history of the church written by Luke. It's dedicated to Theophilus, lover of God, friend of God. And Acts picks up where Luke's Gospel left off. Records the progress of the Gospel as the apostles uh, took it to the ends of the earth. And verse one, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began, that's the key word there, began to do and teach. So in, in my Gospel, he's, he's overlapping Luke the Gospel of Luke with now the book of Acts, and he's saying, I already started to write about what Jesus began, key word again, began to do and teach. And what that tells us is that Acts is dealing with what Jesus continued to do and teach. This is the, this is the work of Jesus. He is alive and well, and, and when you look through the book of Acts and you see how much is attributed to Jesus doing something in the book of Acts, it's it's overwhelming. It's awe-inspiring. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, Christ's work of redemption at the cross, his, his payment in shedding his blood for our sins and bearing our sins and taking the wrath for our sin, the pain for sin is finished. We call that the finished work of, of Christ. But Christ's work of gathering the elect continues. He is gathering his people, and it continues to this day. It will continue till he comes again. Verse 2 tells us that it was until the day he was taken up. So he's, he's overlapping Luke and Acts. And he's saying, I, I wrote the go that gospel. The Holy Spirit inspired it. And I wrote it up until the day when he was taken up. That's the ascension. It's also here in this passage in Acts 1. And he talked about it after he gave commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3 says he presented to himself alive to them. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 records these days. But he gave many proofs after the cross after the grave, after the resurrection, there were many proofs, and he appeared over 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. That's key, the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God. They were always looking for a political kingdom. They were always looking for a political savior, and he was coming to save them from their sins. Verse 4 says that when he was staying with them over those 40 days, he, he told them, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 5, he, he reminded them, John baptized with water, but you are going to be baptized, immersed into the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. You're going to get saved, you're going to be indwelt by the Spirit permanently. Now, Acts has been known as the Acts of the Apostles since about the mid-2nd century. Your Bible probably says the Acts of the Apostles. It is more accurately known as the Acts of Jesus Christ. The acts of Jesus Christ through his spirit-empowered witnesses to serve his sovereign purposes. Colossians 1, 17 and 18 tell us that Jesus is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. First place. Greatest of all. You know that car sticker that a lot of you might have on your car where it says, he, is, and then you have the greater sign, he is greater than I. Well, I was in traffic recently, and I saw one where they had, they had switched it. I am greater than he. That's blasphemy. He is far greater than us. We, we don't even get it. As believers even, we don't get how far greater than us God is. How majestic he is, how beautiful he is, how awe-inspiring he is. And it's his work we're talking about. It's Christ's 
work. He's alive. He is working. He didn't just do something in the past. He is doing something right now. I hope you believe this. I hope you don't think that, you know, he did something in the past, and, and we had the incarnation, and then he, he died on the cross and rose again, and then just left us completely on our own and said, I'll see you when I return. I hope you grasp what the Bible is telling us, that Jesus said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, and that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are saving his people. His work was foreordained before the foundation of the world. It's finished at the cross and continuing in the hearts and, and minds and lives of all his people. And he owns the work. He oversees it. He sustains it. He's gonna bring it to completion. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He hasn't left you. He hasn't left you even as he says, he says to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You're adopted into God's family. He's at work in you as a believer right now for his sovereign purposes. I did something. You may want to do it too if, you, if you're okay with writing in your Bible or highlighting your Bible. But I went through the book of Acts all the way through chapter 16 where we are at this point, And I highlighted every time there is a reference to Christ's work. I put that in green, and then there might be a picture. I'm not sure. I think Alex was going to make a picture of it, but I'll show you. I'll just turn around and show you. What I did is I, I highlighted every time there was something referring to Christ's work, I, I highlighted it in green, and then his witnesses, orange, and his purposes, pink. And I'm telling you, it was, it was awesome to go through this book and go, wow, 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 look at what Christ is doing. Christ is doing, he's, he is doing, and they're attributing things to Jesus, like, by the name of Jesus, you are healed. Jesus Christ heals you. So, like, right then, Jesus was healing someone. They weren't just using his name. You say in the name of Jesus, and you mean everything about who he is, and guess what? He's here right now. Today, I'm going to give you a... Um, a little insight into my heart as, as I went through this sabbatical and several words that God impressed upon my heart and mind that really fit very, very nicely with where this passage goes and where this, whole, where this whole series in Acts has gone and is going. First, we're talking about Jesus' work. And, and Jesus himself, in John 5, 17, said this, My father is working until now, and I am working. I'm, all, I'm always working. He's doing something. And the question for believers is, are you aligned with that work? Are you aligned with that work? Or are you working against the work? Are you swerving out of the lane? Are you, are you yielded to that work? Key word I want to give you, this one word, it's a four-letter word. Deny. Deny. Deny yourself. Now, this is one word that actually went into the sabbatical, thinking, I want to do this more than I usually do because I'm not very good at denying myself. And I did it very imperfectly over the past 42 days, but I, I think I saw some traction. I think I saw some progress, but really, you know, even how Paul says, you know, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching so that your progress will be evident to all. So if, I, if I'm denying myself, it would be obvious to the church. So I'm hoping as I live before you and I live before my family that that would, would increase 
as I would deny myself in an increasing fashion. Jesus said, if you wish to follow me, you must deny yourself. And that's a very strong word, far stronger than we think. It means to repudiate yourself, reject yourself, say that all my thoughts in the flesh, all my natural inclinations are are not to be trusted, and God's word is to be trusted. Now, I've talked about it before, where you need to kind of fight with yourself. You've got the truth, you've got the word of God, and, and you're thinking other things, and you've got to align yourself with the truth and, and really argue with yourself about, no, I'm not going to believe what I'm thinking, I'm going to believe what God says. We get ourselves into all sorts of trouble, stepping out from under the truth. Pastor Ed, last week, he preached so strongly about the, you'll know the truth, and the, the truth will set you free. To know the word of God. John 17, 17, thy word is truth. God's word is true. We say we believe it. We say it, we believe the inspired, infallible, inerrant word of God, but we walk away from it, and we, we, we don't deny ourselves. I am not a natural self-denier. I'm a natural self-promoter. Death to self daily must be our default mode. And it is the hardest thing we'll ever do. Self-denial, Jesus style, looks like this. A very short prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. God, not my will, but yours be done. That should be our prayer. If we want to deny ourselves and, and be in line with Christ's work. Because Jesus is working and he's doing something. And I want to give you four words. And you'll notice on your outline, I actually gave you fill in the blanks. I haven't done that in ten years. But I wanted to because I'm going to share with you those three words, but also some other things that have been in my, on my heart for a long time, actually. And back on my first missions trip in 1987, I went to Arian Jaya, Indonesia, in New Guinea, and I was with Jim Hively, a, a godly missionary, and we were trekking from Ilu to Mulia, and we were going from one village to another to visit a church, and on our, on our feet, just walking through the highlands of New Guinea, and we were just talking for hours on end. And at one point, I asked him about his children, who were probably about a little bit younger than me at that time. I was in my early 20s, mid-20s. I was single at the time, and I remember asking him, so, so what do you aim for with your kids? And he said, well, I, Carolyn and I have always prayed that our kids would be saved, sound in the faith, and serving the Lord. And I thought, wow, um, if God grants me a wife and kids, I want to do that. I want to have that as my prayer. And, and, but then I was already in ministry. I was a children's pastor at the time, and so I adopted that and actually kind of tweaked it a little bit. And I said, I, I want whoever I'm working with to be saved, to be strong in the faith, serving the Lord, and sharing their faith in Christ. And I, I made that my aim. I, and it's not a formula. It's, it's just an alliteration that helps me remember something that's very important. That, that Jesus is, was working to save. Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be what? Saved. Psalm 149, 4 says, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. And that verse isn't telling you that if you're humble, you're going to get saved. It says if you're saved, you're going to be humble. That God has pleasure in his people. He gives salvation, spiritual cleansing from God, life from the spirit, as, as Andrew was preaching uh, in John 3, that you'd be born again regenerated by the Spirit of God, given spiritual life by God. You'd have a new heart, your mind, your will, and your emotions changed by God. And, God, and Jesus is working that his people would be strong. We feel so weak so often, but Ephesians 6.10 tells us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
You notice that there's nothing there about you, you know, pumping iron for this. There's a sanctification going on. There's a working in you that God is working in your heart to make you more like Christ, and, and he's working in your willing heart and your cooperative heart. He is progressively, progressively making you more like Christ as you, as you work together with him and not receive the grace of God in vain. And Jesus is working so that his people would be serving him. Colossians 3, 20, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of the inheritance, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You're not serving people. You're supposed to work from the heart, give it all you've got, but be mindful of the eternal reality that, that your inheritance, that heaven, that the riches of Christ only comes from God. The people that you might try to please are never going to be able to give you that inheritance. By the way, if you're realizing today, like, oops, I am serving with a warped, man-centered mindset. Will be corrected by the word of God. It says it's the Lord Christ you're serving. And it is good and possible and necessary to be Christ-centered. And Christ is working so that his people would be sharing their faith in Jesus with others. Because their hearts have been changed, your heart has been changed, and you know there is no other way to be saved, so you have got to get this message out to as many people as you can. You, you love what you used to hate. You love Jesus now. You hate what you used to love. You hate your sin. And you've got so many opportunities just, just lining up on a daily basis. Even when you think you might be in a place that everybody's a Christian. One of the places we went on sabbatical, we spent some time at Hume Lake. And Angela and Ariana and Savannah and Sophia and I were in the in the staff dining hall where we were privileged to eat that week and a lady and her daughter sat down at our table and I remember thinking to myself, well, we're at Hume Lake, we're in the staff dining hall, Christians. Well, quickly we realized they're from Beijing, China, they're Buddhists, not believers at all, and they're with a group of 25 people touring the United States and somehow they found Hume Lake and we're gonna be there a couple days. We had the privilege of talking with this lady and her daughter, Abigail, nine-year-old daughter, and she asked us a few questions, actually. Um, one of the things we learned in the conversation is she said, we're only allowed to have one Bible in China, but we're encouraged to follow communism and to trust our leaders. And at one point, I asked the daughter, Abigail, if she had a Bible, and she said, well, I have two. And you should have seen the surprised look on her mom's face, like, she asked her, where did you get two Bibles? Her mother was definitely surprised. And then her mom asked us, do you have to pay more taxes because you're believers in Christ? Because she knew someone from Germany that supposedly had to pay more taxes because of that. And we said, no, no. There's lots of freedom in America to believe, even though many of our religious freedoms have been taken away. And then we told her, that only God opens hearts to believe. And we, we shared John chapter three with her and we told her of the universal call of the gospel to open to whoever will believe. And we told her of the exclusivity of salvation in Christ. And it's all who believe, only those who believe. And she immediately asked, well, what about those who have never heard? She's thinking. And I said, well, you need to believe in Jesus, then you go back to China and you become a missionary to China. And she instantly got it, actually. She, or the wheels were spinning. 
She was counting the cost, and she realized the ramifications of the gospel truth she received, and she didn't receive it. She rejected it. I'm praying that God will open her heart to the gospel. But that opportunity to share Christ with this, this lady from Beijing, China, and her nine-year-old daughter was set up by God. That was, it was Christ's work through us, his witnesses, and it was for his purposes. I have no idea what will become of them. I need to follow Jesus every day and deny myself. It's about Christ's work, his, his saving work, where he's rescuing people from sin and death and hell. And we're talking about the earthbound versus the heavenly here, and we get very earthbound and very weighed down with what's going on here. But Jesus gave himself for our eternity. And now he's directing things from heaven. I'm to deny myself, and that means that good and bad things need to be denied for the best by the way, apart from the new birth in Christ, denying yourself is total lunacy. Your atheist friends are telling you this. Well, I have an atheist friend named Joel who told me, you are crazy to believe what you believe. And so is my wife because she believes it too. I'm like, you need to listen to your wife. We're being told left and right that we're crazy to believe these things. And I'll tell you, if it's not true, we are, as Paul said, most to be pitied of all people. Because we've, we've, we've relinquished our rights and we've yielded our lives to a lie. But, but praise God, we relinquished our rights and yielded to the truth. The truth. And we know that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And that he is a sovereign savior. And, and we can trust God's providence and sovereignty. That he is orchestrating things. And he has given us the indwelling spirit. As, as Paul put it, a, a pledge, a down payment of our inheritance. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, assuring us that we are his. If you don't have that assurance, you might not belong to him. But if you know Jesus, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you, reassuring you that Christ is working through you. And it really leads us to the second point. Christ witnesses. You, his witness. Peter. Verses 6 through 8. The disciples came together with Jesus post-resurrection, and they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're really focused in on this, and he says in verse 7, look, you're not supposed to know about that stuff. Um, that stuff that the Father and I are working on, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will, will know that. You don't get the security clearance or the security briefing on that. But verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. It, it's, a, it's a foregone conclusion. You're going to go out into the world from where you are in concentric circles to the ends of the earth, and don't, don't ignore what's right near you. You're going to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You'll be commissioned for a specific work. There's our call. There's our job as believers, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, preaching Christ and making disciples until he returns. Christ's witnesses, you see them all the way through. I've got a lot of orange in my Bible because there's Peter and there's, there's Philip and Paul and Dorcas and the Philippian jailer and everyone who gets saved instantly becomes one of the witnesses, one of the martyrs, one of the people that are going to lay down their life for the gospel. And the key word that God gave me here is continue. Continue to do what God has called you to do. It's like the apostles saying, we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. They were commanded to stop speaking of Jesus. I just heard yesterday that there's Red Cross centers that are saying, you cannot pray 
You cannot read your Bible. Like, they got to get a new name and a new, new logo, I guess. You got to continue to do what God has called every believer to do. In his strength and for his glory. I'm going to give you three P's, three P words, and these are things that I say, this sums up my life really as a pastor, praying, preaching, peopling. And I really want you to think of that as that sums up your life as a believer. You don't have to be a pastor to, to, to cling on to these things. And I realize I might be butchering the English language a little bit for peopling, but I heard that Shakespeare kind of did that as well, and I'm not putting myself in that category. But I know that Jim Elliot did say that God is peopling eternity, and we shouldn't limit him to the people that we think should be dying at a certain point. But the first is praying. De declare your dependence every day on God. The apostle said in Acts 6-4, we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. To prayer. And not just asking prayer, but praising prayer and contemplating his greatness in prayer and praying the word back to God and pouring your heart out to God in prayer. And, and yes, bringing your requests. Praising God in prayer. In, in prayer and in penitence and in petition, glorying who he is, re, re, in who he is, repenting of your sin. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 say, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's a great prayer verse. Cast everything that is weighing you down on him. His hand is mighty. His timing is perfect. Don't exalt yourself. God can carry the burden. You cannot carry the burden. God cares for you. He has everything in his hands. And you're going to face circumstances. You're probably already facing circumstances that are way beyond your control. And you've realized right away, boy, I'm way in over my head here. I cannot handle this. And you're, you've got a heartbreaking situation. And you can't expel the anxiety out of your mind. How do you, how do you get it out of there? Paul was really clear about making sure you pray and giving everything over to God. And it says that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ. You cannot deal with the anxiety. Only Jesus can. So pour it out to him. He'll fill you with his peace. Let's talk about preaching. Declaring his sovereign purposes and plans, whether that's one-on-one -on -one or to a big group, to your sports team out on the field or to your classroom or to your family in the living room, faithfully and consistently give out the truth. Someone from Grace came up to me the, the day before I left on sabbatical and they gave me a, a packet of gospel tracts. And he and I have talked about this before. I like to give them out. And he says, here, here's some, here's some resources for you as you go. And I gave out quite a number of them. I don't even know where, I, where they all landed. I, but I, I, it was joyful to give out the truth, even in a little form like that. Psalm 33.10 tells us, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. But it goes on to say that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. God's counsel stands forever. God's word stands forever. The grass withers, the flower falls off, Isaiah 40. But the word of our God stands forever. The counsel of the Lord stands, and he is going to use all of Scripture, as 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, to teach us, reprove us, correct us, train us in righteousness, that we would be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
because he wants his witnesses equipped. And we become equipped by the word. And not just hearing it, but doing what it says. Just like it says in the bulletin, hear and do every day. To be, you want to become more like Christ? You want to reflect God's glory? Then let your mind be renewed by God's spirit through his word every day. Let the Holy Spirit use the word in your life to minister to your soul. Let it uh, sink into every nook and cranny of your heart. Marinate in it. It's like when we read all 28 chapters of the book of Acts in June 15. And that's a powerful time to just be soaking in the word of God. But you need this every day. Dwell on it, know it, study it, meditate on it, and then share it and speak it. You know, we, need to, we know that we need to wash our hands like all the time because of these millions of bacteria that are all over our hands. This, like bad bacteria is going to infect people. But here's what you want to infect people with. The life-giving, good gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that tells of the grace and mercy of God. And let's talk about peopling. That's just about diving deep into people's lives. Not staying at arm's length, but really getting to know people, really spending time with them so, so that you would grow and they would grow and you'd be encouraged and equipped together. And, and there's a word that I have really attempted to reclaim the biblical meaning as I've been preaching through Acts, and it's the word fellowship. Fellowship is a word that's kind of been trashed. It's, it's been watered down so much. It's been sold short. It's been miscategorized and mislabeled. It's not just about enjoying each other's company and having fun together. And we label that fellowship and we come up so short. Sure, enjoying each other's company and having fun together will be a byproduct, but fellowship, true fellowship, is a joy-filled commitment you make to your brothers and sisters in Christ in the local assembly of which you're a part. And I hope you remember me saying this because I've said it a lot. True fellowship is caring and sharing community where you care, where you share with each other. You care for each other, you share with each other, and you open up your life with people. You don't stay private. You don't, you don't stay hidden. I love it at Grace that we practice unity, not forced uniformity, that there is an honesty and openness about the people of Grace, but we can go deeper. And we can get healthier than we are. Sometimes you look healthy and you don't know that you're sick. We gotta live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, you can pray and preach and, and work with people from a fleshly, worldly place and no one might ever notice. We become so self-absorbed, we, we hardly notice details and how could we discern a spiritual issue like that? But jealousy comes in and competition and comparison and seeking our own best life now and it keeps us from a truly spirit-led life. And all I can tell you is uh, what I found is you gotta slow down and pray. Slow it down and pray. And then soak in the word and, and in preaching. Hearing it and doing it. And again, one-on-one, -on -one, in groups. You might not see yourself as a preacher. It means to proclaim the truth of God. And then see people, really see people for, for who they are. And I put a blog post up yesterday, look on our website, but there's all sorts of people that, that you will be tempted and have been tempted to just dismiss. I like how Brian put it when he preached. He said, you know, God is gonna shower his grace on whoever he wants. 
You know, the Jews thought, well, not the Gentiles, but you know, that was all through the Old Testament, that it would be for all nations. And we're the same way. We, we categorize and we label. Slow it down and pray and soak in the preaching and see people. Continue doing what you're called to do even through hardship. If you're in Christ, your life has been changed. Supernaturally by God. He is still doing miracles. He is still doing supernatural things. So please your heavenly Father, by doing what you're called to do, trust him with the results. Being his witnesses is our calling, it's our commission. And, and we who are ambassadors for Christ are, are having a true citizenship in heaven. Our true citizenship is in heaven. So we need to have our eyes on that unseen prize and, and be willing to spend and be spent for other people's souls, not just to accumulate for ourselves. We need to continue here and do every day and abide in Christ and counteract lies and Remember that the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for their destruction of fortresses. It's all by grace. Lastly, I want to focus your attention on verses 9 through 11. Christ's purposes. His kingdom purposes. Because after he says all he said to them, he says, he says all this, and they're watching him, Jesus with nail-scarred hands, risen from the dead, they're, they're watching him, and he is in their very sight, lifted up off the earth, and, and taken away into a cloud, and, the, and then they can't see him anymore. And verse 10 tells us, they're just looking. They're just, they're just going, what just happened? And two men, in, in white robes, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking they're angels, verse 11, they say, men of Galilee, you know who they are? They know they love Jesus, and they say, why are you looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you pretty much this very moment, will come in the same way you saw him go. See, we are living in the in-between. We are living in the middle. We are living between Christ's first and second comings, between the incarnation and the consummation of all things. And everything is angling for his personal, visible, bodily, imminent, promised return. He is returning, and there is a goal, there's an end, there's a destination, there's a, there's a place being prepared for us. Christ's purposes. But isn't it so easy, isn't it so easy on the daily grind of life to just lose sight of the end game? A lot of times people will say, well, don't be so heavenly minded that you're not any earthly good. That's hogwash. Most of the time, we're so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. We've got to keep our eyes on, on heaven because that makes sense of everything we see here because everything we see here isn't all there is. There is heaven in store. That's why I think in Psalm 46.10 when he says, be still and know that I'm God. So many times I've thought of that as comfort. I've thought, oh yeah, be, it's all these, the, the mountains are quaking, there's earthquakes, there's this, there's that, and, and all these problems in life, just be still and be comforted knowing that God is God. And that's true. But there was something I missed in that as well. Because be still also means to basically desist, cease and desist, cease striving, stop trying so hard. And what do we do? We look around at all the perceived rights and wrongs and, and things, slights, and we try to correct all these things, right? And correct people. And we need to rest in God's providence and sovereignty 
that he is perfectly orchestrating human events and we ought to yield to his purposes because his purposes stand. His purposes won't be thwarted. Our plans, they'll be foiled. But 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 tells me the Lord is faithful. He's going to establish you. He's going to guard you against the evil one. And the key word I want to give you is bless. Bless. A different motivation. You have to be really consciously choosing that moment by moment. Do you seek to be blessed or to bless others? Are you looking out for what people are going to do for you or what you can do for other people? This has truly been a summer of terror. Terror on every shore, front row seat to human depravity. ISIS is dangerous, by the way, and they even say so. They say that those who say that Islam is a peaceful religion are just trying to get votes, and the truth is ISIS, in their own words, say they hate us, and they fight us because they hate us. But don't panic, pray for the glory of God. Don't retaliate, leave room for the wrath of God, and don't hate, bless instead. Share the gospel with anyone God sends you to. You can overcome your personal pathological issues by seeking to be a blessing to people. Because life is not self-serve, people. You wake up in the morning and ask God, who can I serve, who can I bless? In your name. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. His life-giving ransom purchased redemption for all who believe. His mercy holds back the punishment our sins deserve. He took all the wrath upon himself. He substituted himself in our place. He shed his blood and died so that we might live. He gives life to the spiritually dead and gives us a desire to live for him and to bless others, not to curse. One of the things I did, and uh, I didn't tell my family this, and they might, you know, stand up screaming and yelling, saying, oh, that's not true, he didn't do that. Well, let me just say what my heart's desire was over these past six weeks. My heart's desire was, I, I said, I want to be a blessing to my family, and I know I, I did it very imperfectly. My hope was I'd be a, more of a blessing than I usually am. I, I said in my mind that if my kids asked me to do anything, or Angela wanted to do anything, I'd just say, yes, let's do that. Well, one of the things, and you need to pray for Savannah, because she's had a really bad... Um, concussion these past months and it's been really tough for her and she had some pre-work to do for school and she had to read Beowulf Beowulf and I, I think I had to read that in between 76 and 80 in high school but I don't remember one thing about it or if I even read it and I said yes let's do it and it became Angela and I read pretty much read most of Beowulf to her and it was a real blessing but what I, thing I realized as we were reading Beowulf is that the person that, that, that kind of brought it into the 20th and 21st centuries was Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, that he was greatly influenced by Beowulf. And when you read then The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, you're like, he got a lot of this from Beowulf. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, uh, but, but there was a picture, there was a, the kind of a, a picture I saw as, as we were reading it, and I might be wrong, I might have the wrong take on this, but what I saw was the church, an allegory of the church waiting for Christ to return fighting Satan in the strength of Christ. Now think about it. The Old Testament saints were waiting for the first coming of Christ. We, in 2016, are waiting for the second coming of Christ. We're waiting. Now what, is, what does God want us to do in the in-between? He wants to use his spirit-empowered witnesses for his purposes. How do we do that? Four quick words, four quick words. I missed them on first hour. You get extra. Love, lead, listen, learn. Now, I've been living with this for the last 31 years, and this has been my goal with you for the past 10 years, though I never told you. 
I want to love you. I want to lead you in the right way to Jesus. I want to listen to you and meet your needs as much as people can do that and learn with you. I think that's a good goal if you want to be a blessing to people. Love them. Do this with your family. Do this with your friends. Do this with your neighbors. Do this with your enemies. Love them. Lead them in the right way to Jesus. Listen to them and meet their needs and learn with them. Because Christ's work through his witnesses for his purposes will continue until he comes again. Lord God, thank you for this day and thank you, Lord, that we can be reminded, we can be reminded that everything we see here is not all there is and that Jesus is coming back and that we are living in this in-between time between the incarnation and the consummation of all things. And you have given us marching orders. You've given us a calling. You've given us a mission. And it is awesome to see you at work in our hearts and our households and the household of God. We pray, Lord, that you would use us for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.